Hey there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I'm David O'Gray and we're talking Catholic today about the Easter myths. All right, you may have heard some of these Easter myths that us Catholics during Easter time, we're actually not celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're actually celebrating or worshiping some Easter goddess. Okay, so you may have heard these. Right after the eight second introduction, what we'll do, like I do in all these debunking videos, I'm going to give you the myth. Just lay it out. Here it is. And then I'm going to just make three points, just refuting this myth and, and telling you why it, it, it's silly. There are some other good Catholic videos um, about this Easter myth. I saw Dr. Taylor had one. But the three points that I'm about to lay out are just really quick and succinct. And you should get them. And you'll see how ridiculous this whole thing is. And hopefully you have some ammunition next time you hear these things. So make sure you guys click like, subscribe, and share. And I'll be back right after this eight-second introduction to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. All right, so here is the Easter myth, if you've never heard it before. It goes something like this. Um, the name Easter originated with the names of the ancient goddess and God. The Venerable Bede, um, who lived in between 672 and 735, who was a Catholic scholar, um, first asserted in his book on the reckoning of time that Easter was named after Easter, um, E-O-S-T-R-E, who was a great mother goddess of the Saxon people in Northern Europe. Also, Bede says that um, similarly, there was a tectonic dawn goddess of fertility who was known by various names that that sounds like Easter. He lists various names and spelling here, and they all sound something like Easter. Okay. Her name was derived from the ancient word for spring, Easter. Similar goddess were known by other names in ancient cultures around the Mediterranean and were celebrated in the springtime. And then he goes on to list a number of different goddesses who were celebrated worshipped in the springtime for fertility and so forth, such, such as Aphrodite, um, Ishtar in Assyria, Ostera, who was a Norse goddess of fertility as well. Okay, so the, the central argument being made here by these people is just one of similarity, right? That because um, they're arguing that because Christians and, and pagans are using similar names and holding these feasts around similar times, that therefore they're doing the same thing, right? It's really a silly argument on the surface. No one has really successfully argued that because something is similar is the same. No, it's, it's similar. And it, okay, you, you have to recognize that. And then you have to go in and say, okay, these are the similarities, but this is the points of departure, right? Otherwise, they're the same. No, similar doesn't mean same. Similar just means similar. And we have to find out why, okay? Um, so, so, so. But that is their essential argument is saying, therefore, these similarities between name and season makes it the same. OK, now the first problem with a myth, I'm about to lay out just the, the three, some, some just three key points here that we have to keep in mind. Um, the first problem with a myth is that you cannot use a myth to call something else a myth um, for the same reason you cannot use a false to disprove a truth mathematically is saying that you cannot say that two plus two equals four by claiming that two plus two equals five all right in the instant case these people are saying that the resurrection of jesus is false 
because the myths of these Easter myths are true. Yet, as I always say about myths, is that myths always change over time. Myths are never the same. They develop over time, over a course of centuries. There's oftentimes different versions of myths. Oftentimes, these versions conflict with one another. And so myths are, are varied. There's never just one thing. So we cannot just point to one Easter goddess myth and say, because that's true, the resurrection, is, uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ is false. So, so it, it's, it's, it's really illogical um, to hold that we should accept the Easter goddess myth, which is not consistent, which is constantly changed over time, which is never one thing, which did not have verifiable eyewitnesses. We should not accept that as being true and then say, well, because that's true, the resurrection of Jesus is false. When it is a fact that the resurrection of Jesus has always been a consistent narrative. It, it's, it's never changed over time. It's never been many things. Um, it was documented very early on in scripture and even outside of scripture. There's documentation. It actually had eyewitness accounts. Right? So we can say that well we should accept the myth when the truth of Jesus resurrection is verifiable right that's the first problem with the myth the second problem with the myth is that myths um there's really just the issue of just historical veracity the idea that the Christian celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is somehow connected to the Easter goddess of fertility of the northern Saxon people um, it's true, completely ignores the fact that the only place we ever read about this is in Bede's account. There's no, we, we've never heard of this outside of Bede's book on the Reckoning of Time, which he wrote around 725 to 730 AD. Um, outside of Bede, there's no, Bede, there's no evidence to um, ever, ever support this, this ever being true. And Bede doesn't, he doesn't even mention things such as Easter bunnies or Easter eggs. All right, so we have to throw that out. If, if we're going to use that as an argument as well, because B doesn't even mention those things. But let's let's say B was reliable. Let, let's say that he, he's reliable here. Um, by the time that Christians got around to calling um, the resurrection of Jesus our feast there, this subname Easter to denote the season in which it occurs, um, the pagan celebrations would have been long dead. So... <laughs> just based on historical veracity, that the, the timeline doesn't fit here. The, the periods here, they, they do not overlap, right? There's no, there's no handing on um, this tradition. There's no borrowing. You, we don't see Christians say, hey, we're going to leave this Easter feast and go over here and celebrate what the Christians are doing. We're going to call it the same thing. No, we don't see that. Also overlooked here is the fact that the Catholic Christians call Jesus Resurrection Day Pashka. Right to align with the Jewish Passover feast and tallying of the of the sacred holy day as Pascha continued for centuries, even centuries after the Council of Nicaea. In fact, it wasn't even till way later on until um, fifteen eighty two A.D. with uh, Pope Gregory the Thirteenth, who who came along and said, "Okay, we're going we're going to settle this whole Easter thing. Um, we're going to have it just on this one." Um, day and it was what he called a movable feast okay that um, it was always to occur on the first Sunday after the first full moon 
after the beginning of the spring equinox in the northern hemisphere. That was going to be a day of Easter. No matter when that occurred, that was going to be a day. Now, heretofore, Easter, Easter was held on various days and various times, depending upon where you live, what diocese you were in. Um, uh, sometimes Easter was held during the week, sometimes on Sunday, sometimes Easter was always the right after the Jewish Passover. It just had a long and varied history, um, complicated really, that we don't have to get into for this moment. But again, we're going back to the issue of timing here and historical veracity. Um, therefore, the timing of what the pagans are doing and what Catholics are doing um, in the springtime do not appear to be the same thing. There doesn't appear to be, again, any secession, any passing on, any borrowing from one pagan celebration to another. We don't see the pagans leaving the, the Easter worship and running over to the Catholic thing. Um, other than the word Easter, which is just means springtime, right? there doesn't seem to be anything here of, of Catholicism adopting what paganism is doing. All right? Now, the third problem, I think, with all myths, all myths, okay, and, and particularly this one, is that myths is that uh, the, the problem is that they're always ignorant to um, God's providence, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. The myths are always ignorant to God's providence. It never occurs to the mind of the disbeliever that a God who is omnipotent, omnipresent, and um, omniscient. Uh, who deeply desires to have true relationship, communion with his people, would inspire them to, to, to find him no matter where they are. What type of God would not court his objects into relationship with him? What type of God would not draw his creations to himself? We should be surprised, right? We should be completely surprised if we look back over the course of the century, over the centuries and millennia, since the beginning of time, and we did not find evidence of God dropping breadcrumbs or providing lights or providing paths for his people to find him. We should be surprised if that's not the case. Right. Of course, a God who loves his creation, who wants relationship with them, would at all times, in all places, drop breadcrumbs, light paths, and provide light for his people to find him no matter where they are. For example, what, what if the Egyptians, what if the Egyptians, what if they worshipped a sun god named Ra, which they did, and in the course of celebration, they actually believed that they could eat their god. Right, Ra was a sun god, and they believed that if they make made a, a a piece of leavened bread in the shape of a sun, and they ate that, that they were consuming Ra. Right, and this is why Egypt had early on had one of the biggest conversion rates, one of the most successful conversion rates, because when the Catholics came along and they started teaching about the Holy Eucharist, the Egyptians were like, "Okay, we've." We already understand that. We believe that we can eat raw. Tell us more about this Jesus person and give us this thing that you're calling the Holy Eucharist, right? <laughs> or what if the Africans, which many of their um, pagan religions, um, natural religions did and still do to this day, believe that they can speak to their dead ancestors and ask them to intercede for them. So, and then again, this is why in Africa, many parts of Africa, Catholicism has always had a great conversion success rate. Because when Catholics come along and they were teaching about 
the uh, communion of saints and in the intercessory prayer for the saints, the African was like, okay, we, we've already do that. We already ask our, our dead ancestors to pray for us. Tell us more about this Catholic faith. Right. So again, these breadcrumbs, these morsels, this light, these paths which God has planted throughout millennia have already been there. He's always leading his people to himself. Um, the Aztecs, again, they were worshiping uh, uh, an earth goddess named um, Totazin, I believe. And, and did that not prepare them to receive our Lady of Guadalupe, who pointed to her son, Jesus Christ, these Aztecs were like, oh, Our Lady Guadalupe came along and said, okay, we already understand the idea of a mother, um, but tell us more about this mother of your Jesus, right? So, God is providential. He is. God is providential. The same God who inspired the prophets to, to sing about the coming Messiah is the same God who gave us the gift of human reason and imagination by which we can just gaze at the universe and know that there is a God. This God cannot help but to reveal himself to us because that's his nature. The nature of God is love. And the first thing you have to know about love is that love is always trying to reveal itself to his object of love. There's no such thing as loving some person, someone, and being a secret admirer because love cannot keep itself secret, right? And this is the nature of God. God is love. So love is always trying to show its object that I love you. That's the first thing you need to know about God and his nature of love. The second thing that you need to know is that love eternally clings to its object of love. It never lets go. Love never dies, right? And anyone who thinks that God would do anything else but to conform the human imagination um, to himself is foolish. God is always conforming our intellect and our imagination to think of him and to imagine him. We can no more write a love song, does not sing about our relationship with God at the moment, than we can paint a picture that does not imagine, does not bespeak of how we imagine God. Yes, yes. I would say this, if there's anything true about the myths, if there's anything true about them, it is that God allowed us to imagine the myths so that we might find him. Right? Again, if there's anything true about the myths, it's because that is that God allowed us to imagine them so that we might find him. Right. Does that make sense? I'm looking forward to your comments below. Um, make sure you guys, again, click like, subscribe and share and follow me on Facebook. Looking forward to dialoguing you, you there. And but until then and until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. This has been Talking Catholic with David O'Gray.